Welcome to another edition of the Pixel Roll Show, where we discuss the best basketball team in North America, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me on another podcast. This is Adam McGinnis. It is December 10th, 2015, a very warm day here in the nation's capital. It is also my niece's uh, first birthday, First birthday. so what up? Uh, happy birthday, baby Hadley. Hopefully, you get a lot of cake and don't stay up all night for my sister. <laughs> also, also the reason uh, I wanted to mention her birthday, but last year at this this time when my sister had the baby, it was when Bradley Beal uh, tipped in a game winner in Orlando. So a little little Wizards connection. With me today is a guest. I'm really excited. A fellow Washingtonian, uh, also a big big basketball fan, fellow member of uh, NBA Twitter. Also. Uh, a DC resident that's oppressed without any congressional representation, a man that is an aficionado of pro hips history, Mr. Curtis Harris. What is up, Curtis? How are you, man? I'm doing fine, Adam. Happy to be here. All right, sweet. Well, thank, thanks for joining me. The reason I had you on, be, you know, drop us knowledge. We've also, you know, kicked it in real life, uh, watched some hoops uh, in the hood. So, you know, that's always a plus. Uh, it's been a while. We probably should do that again soon. Uh, maybe I'll have to talk off air to figure that out. But every time I have a guest uh, that is a general NBA guy throughout this quarter of the season, it seems that the NBA storylines are the same, that they don't really change. It is Golden State and Steph Curry. It is Kobe and the Lakers. It is Philadelphia and the Sixers. And each one of them continually updates. So it's like I'm rehashing the same storylines, but with new new twists on each one, and in the last few weeks, once again, those three seem to be permeating uh, to the top. You know, also you, maybe you have Paul George, uh, his comeback. You know, maybe also maybe some of the rookies, and you know, maybe on a lesser extent, the East maybe being a little bit better than people expected. How do you see it, man? I, it, it, is that correct? And your observation of what's going on in the NBA for the first quarter of the season? Yeah, I think that's a good. Uh, that's a pretty good summary of what's going on this year. Um, but the only things I think to add to that are kind of how the the Spurs are flying under the radar. But I, I guess by definition, that's not really like a, a headline in the NBA. The Spurs flying under the radar because uh, they're like, geez, I think they only have five losses so far. Um, and like any other year, people would be like, wow, the Spurs are really awesome. They're on pace for like, you know, 62, 60, 63 wins. But the Warriors are just beating people up so bad. You don't even notice how good Spurs are. Um, and uh, that's like the only major one, I think. I mean, the Clippers have kind of gotten themselves together uh, a little bit better over the last couple of weeks, but the Rockets are still kind of mediocre. Uh, but that's pretty much it that I could think of for storylines. You know, I was watching Golden State game, though, that against Indiana. I think they had a 79 in the first half. And I mentioned, it was like watching a 
watching a video game when I would play NBA Jam and play the best team versus the worst team and just shoot threes and steal the ball all the time. <laughs> Have you seen something like this? I mean, what, what are your – are we running out of superlatives to talk about this Warriors team? Because it's pretty phenomenal, man. I mean, it's – I mean, you know, like being a historian, like I don't ever – like I don't think any historian likes to just say, you know, we've never seen anything like this because if you say something like that and you probably haven't done your research if you're a historian, so like you're falling down on the job. Um, so what I'll say about the war is that, you know, we, we've seen things like them before, but, you know, they do it with their own home twist and their own kind of, their kind of spin on it. Uh, so they're definitely like a unique team. We've seen stuff like them before, but nothing exactly like them before. Uh, so they're definitely a special team. You know, you don't really, I mean, we've never seen anybody start off 23 straight wins to a season, so that's definitely something we've never seen before. Um, but, the, you know, the, the greatness that they're playing at right now, I think, you know, we've seen several NBA teams over the, the league's history that, that reached that, that type of level. Uh, but I think, you know, the the final reckoning with them, I guess, would be the playoffs, which, you know, you can play really, really well in the regular season, and, you know, people like me will remember them, like, I remember a lot of great regular season teams, but uh, they don't win the championship. The people, uh, if they think about them again, they think like, oh, man, they had a really great regular season, but didn't win at all when it came time to playoffs. Um, but of course, my bet is that they do win the championship the way they're playing. But uh, if they don't win the championship, the people will kind of look back and say, you know, great regular season, but didn't win at all. And that's if they remember them at all, um, you know, five, ten years down the line. Yeah, I forgot to mention that you ran a really good website called Pro Hoops History. I, I I think that you maybe don't update it as much anymore, but I know you're very active on Twitter. Uh, and all those posts are, are still there, and I'm going to reference some uh, later on when we discuss uh, the, the bullets. So when you said you said as a historian that a couple other teams come to mind, which what are those when you compare them to the Warriors? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the fast-breaking um, shooting style that they have. So when I think of like some of the, the Don Nelson teams, and not just, I don't, actually don't think of the Mavericks, I think more of the, um, the, TMC. the, Warriors, or the early 90s Warriors uh, that he had, and some of the Milwaukee Bucks teams from the 80s. Uh, those are kind of the teams that I kind of think of when I see the Warriors playing. Uh, obviously, you know, like the 80s Bucks weren't talking, you know, they had somebody like Steph Curry checking up shots from that far out. Um, but they, they were a team that played, you know, some pretty stingy defense, and they kind of turned that into, like, a, a really fast-paced offense uh, that worked really well for them. Uh, then Nelson's early 90s Warriors, uh, a little, little less on the defense uh, for them, but they still uh, took a lot of, you know, three-point shots of Chris Mullen and uh, Mitch Richmond. Uh, so those are the kind of teams just off the top of my head I could think of. Uh, I'll, if I sat down and spent a little more time on it, but I think some other people. Those are the first couple teams that come to mind. And how about Steph Curry? Have we seen a player like this ever? To someone yeah, that could yeah, shoot, that could shoot that. the three off the dribble, because I mean, everyone compares him to you know Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, and just the fact the way he's able to shoot these shots and his range. I mean, I've just never seen anything like it ever. Yeah, so obviously uh, the volume of threes he makes is just at an absurd level. Because uh, he just set the record last year for threes made, and he's already on pace to shatter the record he just set last season. Uh, so clearly, like the, the the sheer volume of threes he's making is unprecedented, but. I think uh, some of the ways he takes the three-pointers, uh, obviously it's like the, the really silly stuff uh, that you, know, you can pretty much say is unique. But uh, actually, I think of someone like Mark Price, uh, someone who's really comparable to how Steph Curry takes these shots off the dribble. Because uh, Price had in, like incredibly good handles with the ball, so he could like you know, 
really bad, or bad in a good way. So he had like a really bad muscle for him. Just like break people down, uh, break some ankles, and then he could just stop on the dime and hit a jump shot. Uh, so he didn't take as many three pointers off the dribble as Curry does, but Mark Price definitely was taking threes off the dribble uh, back in the late '80s, early '90s, which a lot of guys weren't doing then. Yeah, uh, he... so that's kind of the player I think that's. That's as close as you can get to Steph Curry uh, is Mark Price in terms of how he takes those three pointers off the dribble. Yeah, no, he was he was tough for the, those Cavs teams with Larry Nance uh, and Doherty. Uh, they were they were a tough, really good Eastern Conference team. Ron Harper as well. Oh yeah, yeah, they got stupid and traded him for Danny Ferry. <laughs> well, we're we're making all sorts of uh, bullets references, Danny Ferry and uh, Mark Price. So so let's go from the pinnacle of history and let's go all the way to the the <laughs> the the bottom. The 76ers, just just real quick, what the hell they're doing, your thoughts on the process, and just this news this week that Jerry Colangelo has been hired to, I don't know, babysit Ed Hinkie, just you know, what what's going on there? What, what is your observation? Man, I, I wish I knew what was going on with them. Um, it is, it, there's a, sorry, I like, I just, I don't know, like, I never fully bought into the process necessarily, uh, like, I saw the value in, like, just... Yeah, you know, the team the Sixers is, you know, there's are, there are a difference between, you know, trading away the veteran players and then, like, letting young guys get some playing time and you, like, figure, like, things naturally suck for a year or two and you get a, you know, a decent draft pick, maybe sign some young players and free agency and slowly try to build yourself up. But the degree to which they just exiled any and all veterans and the draft picks they made, you know, they had a little bad luck with Embiid's injuries, but... Uh, they took Sarge, who wasn't going to come over uh, for a couple of years, as we've seen. And I, I read some news weekly that said he might come over next year, though. So, you know, that might finally work out for them. But I mean, it's, God, like they 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 won like 15 games the last two years, and now they're like one in 22 or whatever it is. Like it's never has a team had a three year stretch that has been this awful. Um, it, it's unprecedented. Like I, I literally looked through the Frank on basketball records and looked through all the franchise records a couple weeks ago. wins, right? Sixers. 
Um, so I think this is something that's going to take like a little time to kind of see what other chips fall because uh, I think it's a little too early to figure out, you know, what the ultimate plan is for Galangelo because he is so old, so clearly I think he's going to be running it himself day to day, but he might like uh, orchestrate the other moves to kind of put in people to do the day to day operations that might fit more of his philosophy. Well, it seems like the, the Philadelphia is fortunes are really going to be destined on if they get the Lakers pick, if they get Ben Simmons in the number one pick, if, if Abid comes back healthy, and if Sarge comes over, correct? So I don't know how much who's running the team really has any impact on those those four things. Those seem like fortuitous that are kind of out of anyone's control. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, I guess some of the criticisms um, I've been seeing from people last month or so uh, certainly picked up, especially after like Okafor got or the news Okafor fights got out. Uh, people were complaining like there's not enough veterans on the team. Um, and the big one is uh, the lack of point guards. That's something people have really harped on. Is this the Sixers do not have a, like a competent point guard on the roster, and that's really uh, you know halting player development. So uh, I guess the, the main critique of Inky hasn't been necessarily how bad they've lost, although clearly like people are kind of upset with that. But it's more of it really doesn't seem like the they're really building to somewhere. Um, like at the scenario you laid out, you know, they get Ben Simmons or a Lakers picker and B comes back to tell people like also that's gonna help everything, but they still will be without a competent point guard if all that stuff went right. Um, and like you've lost a couple of years of player development to some of these guys. Um, you get, kinda of gotta wonder, you know, what you know, what kind of development did they lose out on that they might not be able to get back in their careers or it might take longer to develop in their careers if they'd otherwise had just a couple veterans to kind of teach them some of the stuff they need to learn in the NBA. Um, but, yeah, it, it can still work right for them. Like, they can, all this stuff can go right. They can still do well. Uh, all this would have meant nothing in the end if all that stuff goes right. Did What about reports that the NBA basically stepped in, that this Calandro move was pretty much the, the other owner's being like, yo, this team is hurting our bottom line. No one wants to. Right, no one wants to come to the games yeah, when Sixers are. How much do you think? How much merit do you think that that those reports have? I mean, I I don't disbelieve them. And then, how are your feelings of that? Like, it's kind of like once again, the league is stepping in, and I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Well, see, I, I gotta. I have mixed feelings about that. I guess. I mean, you know, like. Um... I feel like other you know, people telling someone how to run their business or whatever, run their team and all that, but but the NBA, you know, it's not just, like, the Sixers aren't standing out there on their own. It's not like, you know, the Philadelphia Sixers, independent organization in Barnes like, across the NBA or across the United States, like the Hollow Globe probably should. Uh, the Sixers are a part of the NBA. Uh, there's 29 other teams, 29 other ownership groups, and they all work together. They, well, some would say collude. I'm one of those persons. Uh, they work together. Uh, on issues, and they go together like to change rules in the league to elect the commissioner and all that stuff. So, um, I I think it's within the right of the 29 other teams to bring up a, a matter of concern with the Sixers. Uh, but I think it's like or any other team. But I think it's something that you have to kind of use wisely because you don't just want to always go into somebody else's business if you don't have to. Uh, so. From their prerogative, I think they might say, you know, the, the terribleness of the Sixers is kind of making a little bit of a mockery of the league. Uh, they're terrible for the gate revenues at the arenas. Uh, so I can see some of the arguments they would have to kind of interfere with them. I can see some arguments, you know, why they should just step back and let them kind of just, you know, get finished the process or whatever. Uh, but I guess 
what I really strongly come down on is if you're going to do that kind of stuff, be wise with it, don't do it all the time. Uh, but there's definitely precedent. You know, like the NBA's taken over franchises before when, they, when the owners have been really terrible. Um, the most infamous example, obviously, Donald Sterling, when they tried to like strip the team from him, they, they worked something out. Uh, there's also like Ted Stepien from the Cavaliers back in the 80s. NBA basically kicked him out of the league and like he just told him to go away and he took it over and were able to get Gordon Gunn to buy the team. So this, this stuff is not unprecedented. George Shin as well, right? With Charlotte? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shin and the Hornets, yeah. Uh, that all happened. So, yeah, this stuff happens. You, know, you, gotta, you choose wisely when to step in like that, but it, it does happen. No, I'm okay with the meddling. It, and I, yeah. I'm okay in the meddling in the sense that you know, we're talking about collusion of the owners, and I, I don't mean you are probably more on the same wavelength when it comes to players compared to the owners, uh, like rights and stuff, where it seems like the Sixers were also abusing the, the salary floor, right? Like they're actually not getting yeah, players. Yeah. Like they were, I mean, I think they're still paying JaVel McGee $12 million bucks this year not to play, and they're using that money to reach the salary floor, which seems as if I'm a players union or Michelle Roberts. I'm not really down with that, correct? It seems like that's hurting everyone yeah, else. Yeah. yeah, that's the other angle on it. Like, the owners might be them, them, but there's also, like, the players' union, you know, saying, like, these guys not, not bidding on players during free agency. It's kind of depressing the salaries of some players. Um, but, yeah, yeah, there, there's a lot to dislike from every, every corner uh, of the Sixers. Are we we are done talking about at least from those, those people's perspectives. Let me let me stop talking about a one and twenty one basketball team, and let's segue to a three and nineteen basketball team, which is the uh, Los the Los Angeles Lakers, and Kobe's announcement of retiring. Uh, unfortunately for Wizards fans, they're well aware the last week uh, one of those three wins was against the Washington Wizards. I just want before I have questions about the Lakers, just your take on Kobe retiring and this whole thing that's going on with the Lakers and Kobe. And I hate to talk about it once again. Because it's the three nineteen team, but it is the Lakers, right? <laughs> yeah, and like you know, we're talking about how unprecedented the Sixers stuck in this bad is. Uh, the Lakers have never been this bad in their franchise history. Like they've been around almost seventy years right now, and they have never been this terrible. Um, so this it, definitely newsworthy for franchises like you know that caliber, I guess you could say, is doing this terrible, and. You know, I, I've gotten into some, like, let's say, quote-unquote trouble with some of the Kobe fans on Twitter, but I don't bring up, like, how bad he's shooting and how it's just, like, he's just generally terrible these days. But, you know, that, that comes with the territory. Like, he was a really great player. He's one of the, the best players to ever, you know, step foot in the NBA. But that's exactly why everybody's like, you know, he's freaking terrible. He needs to stop taking, you know, 20 shots a game. Um you know, five, ten years ago, that had been fine, but right now he's awful. Like, he's shooting 30% from the field. Like, no one shot 30% shooting the amount of shots he has since, like, you know, 1950. So, like, this is definitely noteworthy. You definitely should bring it up. Like, he, he's playing awful, and he should he should have retired. Like, he shouldn't be playing this year, in my opinion. Um, I think he should have retired at the end of last year when he got hurt for a lot of time. Um, but that's just my opinion. Like, I don't like the, um, you know, I feel uncomfortable telling guys when they should retire because, like, I'll be in his career. He should, you know, do as he feels. If someone's going to get him a job in the NBA, it's his opportunity. He should take it. But uh, I'll just give my opinion to say that he probably should be playing this year. He should already be retired. We've never seen, I think, a player at the end of their career. We've seen players deteriorate, obviously, right? All the legends do. But yeah. a, and, and, it's, and I hate the whole go out on top, I think, is obviously a, 
overrated cliche or misnomer because it's once again like you said it's up to the value how he to the team his role up to him someone else wants to give him a paycheck to still be on the team i think the lakers are giving him a paycheck to justify the revenue and the seats and that cable deal that they have correct more so than basketball but the brashness of kobe just shooting all the time right like at some point there's just like dude like he stopped shooting so much right like that's what i just find just unprecedented in this this way to be like, oh, wow, you're shooting so bad. Like, don't shoot as many. Like, your time has passed. Let's try to win some games. And I think winning games for the Lakers is is obviously not in their best interest of the franchise. But then their best interest was maybe to have some of the young players shoot, right? <laughs> they can still be bad and have them yeah. develop. Yeah, yeah, they're still going to be terrible. Well, even if, like, Kobe was taking the last Josh, aren't going to somehow win, like, 35 games or whatever. Uh, they're, they're still bad. Uh, but you, you, you win it uh, when... You know, Kobe gets terribleness. Like, we've never seen a, a player of his caliber at the end of their career be this bad while, like, being unrelenting and refusing to let go of, like, the the prominence they had on the squad. Like, uh, Kareem, when he was in his 20th year, uh, he was still, like, you know, he, he aged better than Kobe did by his 20th year, but he still took a way reduced role. Like, he, I think he averaged, like, 12 points, and this is a dude that has scored, like, you know, upper 20s, low 30s before in his career, but he, he wasn't going out there like saying, you know, I'm, I'm still Kareem. I'm still going to take my, you know, my 20 hook shots a game and try to average 25 points. He was like, no, I'm cool. I'll play like 20 minutes. I'll score 10, 12 points, um, and I'll be happy with it. Um, other guys like Akeem Olajuwon, he was with the Raptors. Like, he was bad, but he, he knew it. Uh, he, he was only playing like 25 minutes a night. He wasn't trying to score 20 points anymore. Uh, so you, you don't see guys at the end of their careers when they're bad, still trying to uphold, you know, the kind of, the clout they had on their previous teams. The, the Kobe is just unprecedented and, and how terrible he is and refusing to give that up, uh, give up his, um, his prominence on the team. What, and you, Patrick Ewing, I believe, is another one that comes to mind, actually, as well, right? Where, he ended up at the, the Magic? Or yeah, Seattle? Yeah, the Magic and, um, Seattle? The, uh, Sonics? Yep. Look at this era. I mean, look at what KG is doing. Another great example for Wizards fans is Paul Pierce, correct? And, and, and that one that comes to mind, which is kind of, yeah. I don't know how to make the comparison, but got so much criticism and so much heat. And it was before Twitter and before a lot of maybe there could be more defense, but the national media, because his, his reputation amongst amongst the media members was always different than what it was on the street, was Allen Iverson. When he goes to Memphis, right, he doesn't take the role. Everyone kills him because he wanted to be the man. I think what Kobe's doing is kind of worse, right? I mean, I think it's worse than what Kobe's doing. Yeah, I mean, I mean Iverson has a little more left in the tank than Kobe does at this point. So, uh, but yeah, you're right. Iverson, I, I remember bringing him up too on Twitter. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, this 2015, you still got people like, roll the die for Alan Iverson. And you bring him up, I can't, couldn't shoot straight. But, um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, when he was with Memphis, I actually think he, Played pretty good too, like his first few games with the Grizzlies. But he was just so upset he was coming off the bench and not, you know, getting the lion's share of innocent shots. It was just absurd. Like 
AI that did nothing to trade you to the Pistons. You, you, you like destroyed the Pistons that year. And like you were a free agent. You got like the, the bare minimum deal from the Grizzlies. Now you're already pouting your way out of there. So, uh, yeah, that was a fortunate situation. I think he could have done a really good role for a couple more years as like a six man coming off the bench, playing 20 minutes, um, scoring like 10 points, just getting there, getting the points for a team that needs it, you know, and, uh, off the bench, needs them into the offense. Uh, I wish Kobe would take more of a role of that, although he's more diminished, as we said. But I think he'd be better coming off the bench because he is worse, and players who come off the bench are generally worse. So his terribleness would look less terrible if he was playing against other bad players. That's just my philosophy on it. Um, but he, he, he wants to remain a starter and, and play against other starters and look awful. So man, that's his decision. Before we before we move on, one more mention. You mentioned Lakers fans. Are they Lakers fans or Kobe fans? Because in the last podcast I had, in well, uh, the Wizards fans, and I don't want to. You can go listen to it. It's the last one I did. I uh, I was drinking too much and I was still pissed that the, the Wizards lost the Lakers. <laughs> and I thought it was the most embarrassing home thing I'd, I'd seen in the Rising Center in a long time. The way these fans were going nuts after a team who had just lost to Philly the night before. And I get it. It's your home team. I get it. You know, national stars, people root for players. But the scene and the way we, the way these fans were acting, like, I, I think people came with, like, Kobistan, Kobistan, <laughs> I think is the term that people come. Are these these people you encounter on the Twitter machine? And what is really going on with, because I feel if I'm a Lakers fan, I would just say the same things that me and you just said, correct? But it seems that there's a whole segment of these fans who just want to see Kobe play one last time, it's really bizarre. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. There, there's like a like we can just talk like a just like a Venn diagram. Like there's, <laughs> there's Laker fans, and then there's Kobe fans, and like there's some overlap between the two things. But like, now there are people who root for Kobe Bryant, and when Kobe retires, they probably won't care a lick about the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, so it's not surprising it's happened before. Like I think there's. You, know, you can take use the phrase like, you know, like NBA fans. There's people that kind of root for their teams or people who just kind of sit back and like enjoy every team in the NBA and just kind of look through their storylines or anything like that. And there's also a segment of an NBA fandom where there's people who just like latch on to like the superstar and just want to be hitched to like a, a successful person, a successful player. Uh, they don't care really about teams. They'll just ride with, you know, the best player in the NBA. Uh, so Kobe or who they perceive to be the best player in the NBA. So Kobe is the guy that they've been riding with. He's a living legend in their eyes. Um, I don't get it because I don't get that way about anybody and anything. So this is a, kind of a psychological thing I don't understand, but there's people who, as we saw at the Rising Center, people who will root and go crazy for Kobe Bryant. Um, I, I just don't get it. Like, I understand, like, you know, going to those games to appreciate, like, you know, the final game, this is a great player's going to have in your city, but I don't get the – just like the frenzy that comes along with it. But uh, that's just me. That's my personality. I don't get it. Yeah, and I think what happened, too, is that I just wasn't used to it yet. Like, Kobe just announced that he's going to retire, right, on that, that poem, which I, I thought about. Yeah, I, thought, I, I thought when I read the poem, I'd, I'd have a few whiskeys. I was down in Orlando still visiting my family. And I'd read the, we were playing, I was playing cards with my cousin and, and, and another, another family member, and I literally just read the poem to them out loud and they were like dude you're making this up and I'm like no dude I'm not making this up and I, and I would I'd, I'd be very drama high school I would not see it everything and I felt like I was going to do one of these podcasts and just read the poem you know some type of like William Shatner reading Sarah Palin's tweets <laughs> some type of like 
<laughs> because, dude, he was kind of... I, I mean, poetry, you know, I'm into arts and stuff. I don't know, man. What do I... I just... It didn't do it for me, I guess. It's not my thing. How about you? Very Kobe, though. Very Kobe. Oh, it was so Kobe. So Kobe. I mean, remember the, remember the photo shoot with him and, like, the white... The all white and oh, stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, such that's Kobe, awesome. right? <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> but 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 to to move on because this is a Washington Wizards uh, uh, podcast. So thank you for all you people listening. And I'll tell you to to start right now to listen about the Wizards. Currently, the Wizards are nine and eleven. They lost last night to the Rockets at home. They are five and four on the road. Four and seven at home. They're trying to play this small ball and adjusting. Now they're shooting threes at an average clip instead of poorly from a from a from a rate standpoint. But now they rank pretty much at the bottom of the NBA and getting giving up threes. They're about to embark on a, a four game road trip that maybe could define their early season. I know it's a little early for that. John Wall struggled there for a couple of weeks. The last six games, John Wall has been one of the best players in the NBA, so John Wall is back, so a lot of Wizards fans are happy with that. Bradley Beal has been streaky up and down. Injuries have ravaged the team. Everyone listening knows all this. Just from your your viewpoint, you're, I, I know you're not a huge Wizards fan, but you do live in the city, and this is the city of pro basketball, so I know you take them in as an NBA guy. Just your thoughts of uh, the John Wall Wizards, what they're trying to do this year, and how many games you've been able to see or witness, and uh, your thoughts, man. All right. Well, you're right. I'm, I live in D.C., but I'm not a Wizards fan. I don't make the point to focus on the Wizards and find out what's going on with them. So I kind of, as you said, take them in. I take in a lot of teams that aren't really moving the needle, we'll say. Uh, but from what I've seen, uh, the couple of games I've been able to catch on TV, and I went to one game in person this year, um, and then also like reading stories and all that, checking stat lines and everything. Uh, they don't seem that good this year. That's just be my summary of the team right now. They don't seem that good. Um, they seem to have they seem to have trouble trying to adjust to the the, the small ball hall lineup for a full season. Uh, I don't think they have I don't think they have the, the right personnel from top to bottom on the roster to make it work. Um, I mean, that's just my opinion. Like I'm not a guru on running basketball offense, but uh, they seem kind of. They seem to kind of make this switch to a new playing style, but they haven't really brought in the right people. As I said, from top to bottom, they really made that work because they're still saddled with um, Nene and Gortat, which, you know, Gortat is still used, but Nene seems to really have hit the, the backside of his career. Um, Otto Porter, I think, actually is really, really playing well this year. Uh, so I think he's I think he's on a really nice trajectory. I think he's really going to be useful if they keep up with the small ball stuff over the next couple seasons. Uh, but they... Chris Humphries has been a nice little stopgap, you know, stretching the floor, shooting those three-pointers, but I think they really need a, they really need somebody who's able to really stretch the floor and also um, able to play really sound defense. Uh, Humphries gives it a good go, but I don't consider him a, a good defensive player. Uh, so they can get their hands on the power forward or anybody really who can just really hit threes at a knockdown rate and also somehow short the defense. I think they'd be much better than they are right now. What about John Wall and Bradley Beal? What are you seeing out of them? Oh, uh, yeah, John Wall's been, especially like you said, the last few games, he's been really awesome. So, uh, I know he's been a little up and down this year, but the last few games, he's been really, really good. Overall, I think he's 
pretty much the team that I think him to be. Um, he, he should be an all-star once again, no doubt about it. Um, Bradley Beal, I'm really got kind of conflicted on him because I, I think he's a good player, but yeah, I don't know. Something just off with him with me. I don't know. There's, there's nothing I can put my finger on. Seems like he honestly a little begging for injuries all the time. I'm kind of worried about how durable he will be in the long run. Might be just a bunch of freak injuries or whatever. Uh, so that kind of worries me sometimes. Uh, but but I, I think he's good enough to be your, your starting shooting guard on a, on a really, really great team. Uh, but I think he could be no better than your third best player. If you're talking about a team that's legitimately going to challenge for a championship, he can't be any better than third and probably should be fourth on a team like that. There's things that I say to uh, Wizards fans. I say uh, death, taxes, Ernie Grunfeld. Uh, those three things in life <laughs> that you count on. <laughs> that Ernie Grunfeld is just going to be running my professional, favorite professional basketball team. And I think we're almost getting to the point where Randy Women is in that conversation. I get a lot of commentary like, oh, they need to get rid of women, women. I'm like, women is Teflon. Uh, especially when it comes to Ted Leone. Since just your... You're a historian, the way things work. I mean, what have you seen as running franchises from from Grunfeld and then also the coaching of Randy Whitman from your perspective? Because the reason, another reason I like to have you on is, you know, some of the blogs about the team and we're in the message boards and we're writing and invining every day. And yet you're someone who that loves basketball just as much as me, but then you can get a different, sometimes I'm too close, I think. You know what I mean? Like, so sometimes I like to yeah, get man, some. Yeah. So sometimes it's good to get someone's viewpoint that from from you know not just oh casual fans oh the Wizards I heard they're playing good at them no like someone's like knows how the Wizards are playing but isn't so invested every day the way that you know people at Truth About It are or, or people on Wizards Twitter and I know that you have a vantage point that uh, I find your perspective I find very helpful. What do you see as this, how this franchise is? is running, where they're building, or just what they're trying to do? I mean, like, like, like my previous statement, you know, they're doing what they were, but, like, I do want to start the, the, the franchise, and then, I mean, this is, I guess, not saying a whole lot, but, like, it's the best thing it's been, like, in almost four decades, um, so, that's a good thing, you can say, like, it's the best team has been in, like, 40 years, or 35 years, but, you know, that that's, the franchise has been pretty bad, though, in those 35 years. So, oh, we know. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's been pretty bad. But, um, but like, last year, like that, the Wizards should have made the Eastern Conference Finals if uh, John Wall hadn't hurt his wrist. Uh, so that was kind of a bummer. But the, the team should have thought he really would have beat the Hawks. Because um, that's why this year I think it's just been a, a little bit disappointing. Oh, not a little bit, a lot, a lot disappointing because, you know, they – would have been a year of finals, in my opinion, and this year they're just hovering at 500 uh, on the outside looking at playoffs right now. Uh, not a lost cause by any means, but as of right now, they're not in the playoffs picture. Uh, so, but I, I think they're in a decent spot. Um, I think they got the room to, the ability, I should say, to add some good players um, in free agency. Um, you know, hopefully Kevin Durant, although I seriously doubt that. Um, <laughs> But I, I think they have a place where they can make some good moves. They could be a 45 to 52-win team for like the next five to six years, in my opinion, as long as they keep down wall. I think that's a given. They'll win 45 to 52 wins uh, for, the, for the next five to six years, at least. Uh, so 
when you look back the last few decades, when could you have said that? Like the Wizards are guaranteed 45 to 50 wins. You can't say that except in this period starting right now. So I think when you, that's kind of taken into effect, the whole big picture, I think they're in a very good spot. You know, it's always funny with the Wizards have had the success over winning a playoff series each of the last two years, and last you know both both years going to the six games of Eastern Eastern Conference semifinals. <laughs> and it's funny because then they'll use historic terms like they've only won so many playoff series in so many years, and, yeah. and it's kind of like a, you know a backhand compliment because it kind of just means this franchise has been terrible <laughs> for decades, yeah. right? Yeah. kicked and then they'll go on the road and beat Miami. They'll beat Cleveland and then come home and, and lose. 